The Alan Watts iPhone app is now available on the iTunes App Store, featuring the entire Alan Watts podcast series at your fingertips. Visit alanwattsapp.com for more information. Now, maybe two million years ago, somebody came from another galaxy in a flying saucer and had a look at the solar system, and they looked it over and shrugged their shoulders and said, just a bunch of rocks, and they went away. Later on, maybe two million years later, they came around, and they looked at it again, and they said, excuse me, we thought it was a bunch of rocks, but it's peopling. And it's alive, after all, it has done something intelligent. Welcome to The Love of Wisdom with Alan Watts. As one of the century's most eloquent philosophers, Alan Watts introduced a generation in the West to the fascinating ideas of the Far East, the wisdoms of the Orient. In the 1960s and early 70s, he lectured throughout the English-speaking world and was recorded in a variety of settings from seminars aboard his ferry boat, the Vallejo, in Sausalito, California, to keynote addresses at major universities. The author of books on Christian theology, psychology, ecology, and Eastern religion, including his classic, The Way of Zen, Watts' scholarship is deep and timeless. However, it is also his wit and playful approach to life that endears him to us today. This program was recorded in 1965 at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. In this talk, Alan Watts tackles the fundamental philosophical question, Who am I? Is the human being an island of consciousness locked up in a bag of skin, isolated from an alien world? Are there really insides and outsides? As he unwinds these questions, Watts examines the two fundamental Western myths, that human beings are either made by a celestial creator or are the result of random collisions, flukes in a world without meaning. Who am I? Here's Alan Watts. But behind our whole thought in the West is the idea that the world is an artifact, that it is put together by a celestial architect, carpenter, and artist, who therefore knows how it was done. When I was a little boy, and I asked many questions which my mother couldn't answer, she used to resort in desperation to saying, My dear, there are some things that we are not meant to know. And I said, Well, will we ever find out? And she said, Yes, when we die and we go to heaven, uh, it will all be made clear. And I used to think that on wet afternoons in heaven, we would all sit around the throne of grace and say to the Lord God, now just why did you do it this way? And how did you manage it that? And he would explain it and make it all very clear. All questions would be answered. Because as we have popularly, in popular theology, understood the Lord God, he is the mastermind who knows everything. And if you ask the Lord God, exactly how high is Mount Whitney to the nearest millimeter, he would know exactly like that and would tell you. 
Any question? The Cosmic Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> Unfortunately, this particular image or myth became too much for Western man because it was oppressive <coughs> to feel that you are known through and through and watched all the time by an infinitely just judge. I have a friend, a very enlightened woman, she's a Catholic convert, but a very enlightened Catholic. And in her bathroom, she has on the, the pipe that connects the tank with the toilet seat, a little framed picture of an eye. And underneath in Gothic letters is written, Thou God seest me. Everywhere is this eye watching, 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 and judging you. So that you always feel you're never really by yourself. But the old gentleman is observing you and writing notes in his black book. And this became too much for the West. Became oppressive. They had to get rid of it. And so instead, we got another myth. The myth of the purely mechanical universe. This was invented at the end of the 18th century. Became increasingly fashionable throughout the course of the 19th century and well into the 20th century, so that it is today's common sense. Very few people today really believe in God, in the old sense. They say they do, but they really hope there is a God. They don't really have faith in God. They, 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 they fervently wish that there was one, and feel that they ought to believe that there is. But the idea of the universe being ruled by that marvelous old gentleman is no longer plausible. It isn't that anybody has disproved it but it just somehow doesn't go with the vast infinitude of galaxies and the immense light year distances between them and so on. So instead, it has become fashionable, and it is nothing more than a fashion, to believe that the universe is dumb, stupid, that intelligence, values, love, and fine feelings reside only within the bag of the human epidermis. And that outside that, the thing is simply a kind of a chaotic, stupid interaction of blind forces. Courtesy of Dr. Freud, for example, uh, biological life is based on something called libido which was a very, very loaded word. Blind, ruthless, uncomprehending lust. That's the foundation of the human unconscious. And similarly to thinkers like of the 19th century, like Ernst Haeckel, even Darwin, T.H. Uh, Huxley, and so on, there was this notion that at the root of being is an energy. And this energy is blind. This energy is just energy. And it's utterly and totally stupid. And our intelligence 
is an unfortunate accident by some weird freak of evolution we came to be these feeling and rational beings more or less rational and this is a ghastly mistake because here we are in a universe that has nothing in common with us doesn't share our feelings has no real interest in us we're just a sort of cosmic fluke and therefore the only hope for mankind is to beat this irrational universe into submission and conquer it and master it. Now, all this is perfectly idiotic. If you would think that the idea of the universe as being the creation of a benevolent old gentleman, although he's not so benevolent, he takes a sort of this hurts me more than it's going to hurt you sort of attitude to things. Uh, you can have that on the one hand and if that becomes uncomfortable you can exchange it for its opposite the idea that the ultimate reality doesn't have any intelligence at all at least that gets rid of the old bogey in the sky in exchange for a picture of the world that is completely stupid now these ideas don't make any sense especially the last one because you cannot get an intelligent organism such as a human being out of an unintelligent universe the saying in the New Testament that figs do not grow on thistles nor grapes on thorns applies equally to the world you do not find an in intelligent organism living in an unintelligent environment look here is a tree in the garden and every summer it produces apples and we call it an apple tree because the tree apples that's what it does alright now here is a solar system inside a galaxy and one of the peculiarities of this solar system is that at least on the planet earth the thing peoples <laughs> in just the same way that an apple tree apples now maybe two million years ago somebody came from another galaxy in a flying saucer and had a look at the solar system and they looked it over and shrugged their shoulders and said just a bunch of rocks and they went away later on maybe two million years later they came around and they looked at it again and they said excuse me we thought it was a bunch of rocks but it's peopling <laughs> and it's alive after all it has done something intelligent because you see we grow out of this world in exactly the same way that the apples grow on the apple tree if evolution means anything it means that but you see we, we curiously twist it we say well first of all in the beginning there was nothing but gas and rock 
And then intelligence happened to arise in it, you know, like a sort of fungus or slime on the top of the whole thing. Uh, but we're thinking in a way, you see, that disconnects the intelligence from the rocks. Where there are rocks, watch out. Watch out. Because the rocks are going eventually to come alive. And they're going to have people crawling over them. It's only a matter of time. Just in the same way as the seed, the acorn, is eventually going to turn into the oak. Because it has the potentiality of that within it. Rocks are not dead. You see, it depends on what kind of attitude you want to take to the world. If you want to put the world down, you say, oh well, fundamentally it's only just a lot of geology. It's a stupidity. And uh, it so happens that uh, there's a kind of a freak comes up in it which we call consciousness. And that's an attitude that you take when you want to prove to people that you're a tough guy, that you're realistic, that you face facts, and that you don't indulge in wishful thinking. It's just a matter of role-playing. And you must be aware of these things. They are fashions in the intellectual world. On the other hand, if you feel warm-hearted towards the universe, uh, you put it up instead of putting it down, and you say about rocks, they're really conscious, but a very primitive form of consciousness. Because after all, when I take even this uh, crystal here, which is glass, and go... Well, it makes a noise. And that response, that resonance, is an extremely primitive form of consciousness. Our consciousness is much more subtle than that. But when you hit a bell and it rings, you touch a crystal and it responds, uh, inside itself, it, I mean, it has a very simple reaction. It goes jangle inside, whereas we go jangle with all sorts of colors and lights and intelligence, ideas and thoughts. It's more complicated. But both are equally conscious. But conscious in different degrees. That's a perfectly acceptable idea. It's just the opposite of the idea. See, all I'm saying is that minerals are a rudimentary form of consciousness, whereas the other people are saying that consciousness is a complicated form of minerals. You see? And what they want to do is to say everything is kind of bleh. Well, that's what I want to say is hooray, you know, that's a life is a good show. Alan Watts from the Spoken Word Library of the Electronic University. For copies of this and other Alan Watts programs, please go to alanwatts.com on the World Wide Web or call us toll-free at 1-800-W-O-WATTS. That's A-L-A-N-W-A-T-T-S dot com or 1-800-W-O-W-A-T-T-S. The Watts website features free audio downloads, program lists, and information on Watts' life and works. Once again, that's alanwatts.com or 
W.O. Watts. 